Welcome to Decisive Point, a U.S. Army War College Press production featuring distinguished authors and contributors who get to the heart of the matter in national security affairs. Decisive Point welcomes Mr. Jody Prescott, author of Gender Blindness in U.S. Doctrine, featured in Parameters Winter 2020 issue. Mr. Prescott is an attorney and lecturer at the University of Vermont. He is also serving as an adjunct scholar at the Modern War Institute at the U.S. Military Academy. Today, we're talking with Mr. Jody Prescott about the risks of neglecting gender in U.S. doctrine. Let's jump right in here, Mr. Prescott. How is it that the role of women in the military has increased over recent years, yet U.S. doctrine hasn't fully acknowledged that fact? The best way to describe that would probably be to briefly tell you about how I got started thinking about the relationships between gender and operations. I had a tour in Afghanistan a little over 10 years ago, and that's what got me started to thinking about these things. As a result of, of the work that I did in Afghanistan, particularly when I was down in Zabul province for about three weeks, working on environmental damage claims and working on land damage claims, even though we were talking the talk about winning the hearts and minds or at least gaining the respect of the population, we essentially were missing about half of them. When I got back from Afghanistan and I was teaching at West Point, I finally had some time to dig into it and to research some more and to study some more. What I began to realize is that it's not so much that the role of women in civilian-centric environments has changed. I think that has probably remained constant. The problem is that we simply haven't recognized it. In the 10 years since I've begun looking into this, there have been some important changes in some of our doctrine, particularly at the joint level, that recognize the significance of gender in terms of operations. So, for example, if we look at the Joint Foreign Humanitarian Assistance Doctrine or the most current version of the Stability Doctrine, I think those are both two good examples of where the doctrine writers have begun to come to grips with trying to figure out the operational relevance of gender for those operations. But on the other hand, when you look at other doctrine that is civilian-centric or should be civilian-centric, there's an absence, almost a complete absence of women. It's as if women don't exist. So, for example, look at the current joint urban ops doctrine, practically nothing in there. More tellingly, look at the civil affairs doctrine. If there were one bit of doctrine that we would look at and expect to be dealing with the realities of a population composed roughly of half men and half women, you would think it would be civil affairs doctrine. And yet there's practically nothing in there. Now, some might say, well, this just represents gender neutrality. I disagree. What this represents is gender blindness, because what it's doing is basically assuming that everybody's security needs and the roles that they would play in a security environment are essentially those of men. Essentially, this is just complete male norming instead of gender neutrality. And it's in civil affairs doctrine that I think in particular that we have the greatest opportunity to become more aware of how we can practically incorporate gender considerations into the work we do to give our mission a better chance to succeed. What kinds of operational risks are caused by gender blindness? Right. So um, here's one of the things that I've been struggling with since I've begun looking into this. There is not a lot of data. There are anecdotal reports many of which seem reliable and, and seem corroborated, 
but it's not like we've ever gotten to the point where we have done a significant collection of data to be able to analyze it to assess with a degree of reliability exactly what the situation is. But as I've begun thinking about this, one of the things that I've realized, and this is where I ended up in my book, Armed Conflict, Women and Climate Change, I ended up in a spot <laughs> that I did not expect when I started. I thought when I began that it was pretty clear that climate change, for example, was leading to increased violence. I thought that it would just be a matter of tying these different things together to explain how their, their interrelationships work, particularly after I did a comparative analysis of NATO, U.S., U.K., and Australian doctrine. What I came away with at the end was that we simply weren't appreciating that gender is not always relevant in an area of operations. When you're dealing with a situation where you have an equipment-heavy force-on-force engagement being fought outside of a populated area, from the perspective of risk, and that is whether it's going to make a difference one way or another in terms of how that engagement comes out, quite frankly, I don't think gender really enters into it. On the other hand, if we're dealing with civilian-centric environments, stability operations, for example, there, I struggle to see how it could not be relevant. But I think part of the problem is there really hasn't been the development of an overarching theory of gender's operational relevance. And that is figuring out the points and the kinds of missions in which it actually would be important. The other thing that I realized was that there were risk analyses being done in the different gender assessments and maybe the higher level gender analyses that I got to look at. And there were not many. But what they weren't looking at, what they weren't tracking, was the reality of risk to the mission and its personnel. Instead, the considerations of risk were being calculated towards what's going to happen to, say, for example, the women and girls in this area if we don't do a certain thing. That, I think, tends to ghettoize gender. Instead, we need to take the next step and say, okay, given all of this information as to how we assess gender, how we think it's going to play out in the analysis. Now let's norm this. Let's put this into the regular staff processes and begin thinking about how it results, if any, in risk to the operation. Until we take that step, we can't know. But unless we take that step, we're not going to help commanders and staffs figure out how to allocate limited resources to most effectively accomplish the mission. Are there any good news stories about gender in U.S. doctrine you can share with us? Well, there has been, I think, some important progress made in different parts of U.S. doctrine, particularly at the joint level. The Foreign Humanitarian Assistance Doctrine includes what I think is a really good start for gender and operations. I think stability does as well. So there is work going on. My concern is that this is not focused where we get the most bang for the buck. From my perspective, the place where we need to focus is on civil affairs. It really is civil affairs that provides us the existing infrastructure in terms of the thinking and the people that we have. We have an established system in terms of staffing planning. We have a way to include this. And the civilian component of that analysis seems to me to be the perfect place to feed this in. That's why the article that I wrote for your journal is focused on, right now, the joint level civil affairs doctrine, which I think, because of the complete absence of gender, 
is really, really a good place to start making an investment that could pay big dividends. In terms of a good news story, I think perhaps from my perspective, the best news story I've got is the undergoing revision of FM 3-5-7 started this summer to include, among other things, gender considerations. I think that's a really important step, and I'm really glad to see that being done. And I would hope that those revisions, when they get finished, would help jumpstart a re-examination of our joint-level civil affairs doctrine. I hope so, too. Thank you so much for sharing your time and your insights with us today. And thank you, listeners, for joining us for another episode of Decisive Point.